The emergence of COVID-19 has forced the legal industry to rapidly undergo a fundamental transformation. I'm Jack Newton, CEO and co-founder of Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal software provider. In each episode of Daily Matters, we'll explore what this new normal means for law firms, how legal professionals can find success while working remotely, and how lawyers can best serve their clients during this unprecedented time. Today, I'm here with Mike Whalen, CEO and founder of Lawyer Forward. Mike, thanks for being here. We've got a lot to talk about today. We do. Thanks for having me. Times are weird. How are you, Jack? I am. I, I'm great. Uh, you know, my family's healthy. Uh, we've got a beautiful day here in uh, Vancouver, BC. Uh, so, so not a lot to to complain about. Um, uh, and how about yourself, Mike? How's your family doing? Uh, tell me about your. Uh, you know, where where are you situated, and what does your day to day look like right now? It sucks, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Okay, you know, that's look, the most blunt answer I've gotten to that question yes. uh, thus far, Mike. Thank you for your, your radical candor there. Listen, I, th- these things that we're dealing with, it is common for lawyers to feel like we're supposed to be the adult in the room and always have the answer and know stuff, but this sucks and it's okay to talk about it. I, I think a lot of the impact that we're feeling at home has more to do with our kids and the transition that they're making and the transition we're making, having them in here, you know, the constant interruptions, frankly, while you're trying to do creative work, you're anxious and trying to do creative work. Um, These are difficult times, obviously in context, everybody here is alive and healthy. We've got nothing to complain about there, but it is hard to do the work right now. Yeah, I uh, I hear you. I've got three kids running around my house, 12, 10, and 7, and uh, and it's a busy house uh, and uh, many unexpected interruptions during the day. Um, what is on your mind most right now? Honestly, it's the lack of connection that's biased because that's always my concern, but I was reading an article in the New York Times yesterday talking about mental health in this COVID experience. And this psychologist pointed out that normally when we feel anxiety and we feel depression, the interventions that are, you know, given by these doctors are almost all social. It's about connecting, it's about programs, these social programs. So not only are we feeling anxious, we don't have that balancing feedback loop of those social experiences to deal with that anxiety. So it's just this kind of reinforcing loop. And the business model, I, I write about it in the book, Lawyer Forward, the business model encourages isolation. And in a world where we've got that just reinforcing energy, you know, we're at a lot of risk for a lot of depression in this industry, which always, always concerns me. Yeah, an industry that was already rife with a lot of depression and substance abuse and elevated suicide rates. Um, and, you know, what what do you think the the best way to tackle that is I do think the isolation and the mental health impacts are going to be the, the second shoe to drop here. Once, you know, we've seen the immediate economic impacts. Uh, Do you have any advice or uh, ideas for how lawyers that might be listening to this and feeling even more isolated than, than usual? How, How can you bridge that, that gap in a, in a world of social distancing? To overgeneralize, I mean, we have in this industry extroverted people and we have introverted people. And, you know, just to give two categories, I might treat that differently. For those extroverts, 
I think it's, they need to, and it's easier for them to figure out ways to reach out. Right now I'm taking part in different Zoom calls with uh, different social groups, people that honestly, I didn't used to talk to every week. Now I'm finding times in these Zoom happy hours to talk to every week. Um, you know, we're doing- uh, And Mike, do on, on those I'm Zoom sorry. happy hours, mm -hmm. uh, are these people that you've met online? Are these some of your Twitter buddies? Where, what kind of community uh, are you connecting with here? Mostly people that I already knew, uh, mostly from that Twitterati group, the the people that have been friends of mine. And, and to a degree, that I think is healthy. One of the things I talk about in the book is that those social silos are actually really good. We're talking a lot about, you know, in business speak, how to break down these silos, but really communities are organized that way. And you see in this moment how important those little communities are, those people who you know, not your tangential relationships. I have 4,000 followers on some social media platform, but those closer, protective, mutually beneficial, loving relationships, as lawyers, we're really good at those tangential relationships, but not so good at those close ones. And I, and I think for those extroverted people, there's, there's a good opportunity to be able to keep building on those. I'm, I'm really worried about the introverted people right now because the, because of that tendency to isolate that that makes it hard to deal with some of these anxieties and these depressions. So for anybody who's listening, who feels like one of those introverted people that it's hard for you to connect, part of me wants to tell you, you've got to get over it, not because that's easy, but because it's so necessary for right now. And the rest of you who aren't like that, keep a watchful eye, pay attention to the lawyers who are inclined to turn inward because you don't know where, where they're at emotionally right now. And maybe for those more introverted folks, how do you maybe break into some of these more constructive social networks out there? You mentioned the, you know, the Twitter RD, the, there's a, there's a great legal tech community on Twitter that I think it overall is actually a very positive community. Um, are there other communities on other social networks? Uh, if, if you had to give a piece of advice on here's how to get started to reach outside of your your comfort zone, maybe even for the extroverts that aren't plugged into some of these online communities, what's a what's a first step, and who who should you follow? Who should you engage with? Who's who's likely to open welcome with open arms? Well, I'd give you two pieces of advice on that. One is mine, I guess, and one is Seth Godin's. Uh, the first is go to communities that already exist. Uh, you have in your area. You might be on a listserv. Uh, with other attorneys, you might be in a Facebook group, you might be in a bar association that has an email list. There are different communities that exist right now that you can reach out to, somebody just needs to do it. And that brings me to the Seth Godin point. He always talks about, you can be the impresario. The impresario was the person who worked at the opera house who sort of organized the whole event. You can be that organizer. And the really cool thing about being the organizer of these social interactions is that you're known as a resource into the future. This is the same advice I give to people when they're making marketing decisions, is being the host puts you in a position that you can connect with lots of people and serve lots of people. So either join an existing community or start one if you can't find one. That's great advice. Let's talk about Lawyer Forward, your, your book, uh, which is an excellent book, by the way, highly recommend uh, everyone that's listening, read your book, just published uh, late last year, correct? That's right, in November, and it, it was published late November because I had to give myself a fake date to finish it or I would never have finished it. There's a writing pro tip for you. Give yourself deadlines, but yes, late November. Yeah, it's a, it's a good pro tip. 
Um, I had lots of fake deadlines uh, that I set up uh, writing my book as well. Um, when you look at when you look at your your book and and uh, some of the topics you cover, you you, you cover I, I think a really uh, wide range of topics. One of the topics you explored that I really enjoyed was this this tie in between logistics and and law, and you know, maybe you could walk us through a little bit what you think that connection is. Um, and, and how do you think about the logistics side of things and, and the, uh, the term that you apply to legal, this concept of the, the legal supply chain? How do you see that being disrupted by the COVID-19 crisis? And, and do you see it being reinvented in some way that will actually be maybe potentially a positive impact uh, for, for lawyers overall? First, I would give a little bit of background of why we practice the way we do. I do that at the beginning of the book. The practice yeah, model, yeah, the practice model that we have applied in law comes from this scientific management era, the time you know of big business overlords in the early 1900s, when there was this obsession with making everything human into something scientific. And so a lot of companies and a lot of thinkers at that time were trying to scientificify, which is a word I just made up, a <laughs> bunch of these human activities. You saw this with Langdell at Harvard with legal education, and you saw this with Paul Cravath in legal practice. He actually took that model, according to a great book uh, called The Last Days of Night, he took that model from Thomas Edison, and it was basically have a bunch of people in a room by themselves working through a problem. They raise their hand when they fix it. Edison slaps his brand on it and sells it. That isolating individual, you know, very silos of one kind of setup is the foundation of legal practice now. This is particularly true if you bill hourly. You are literally the engine when you're in front of a computer doing something for that given case. Very isolating. And so what I make reference to in the book is a different way to thinking about it, which is that it's more efficient and more effective if you actually connect a lot of people, a lot of tools and resources in a thoughtful way through design. So basically what that means in practice is if, if I have to deal with a legal case or a legal situation, me trying to do it all by myself is actually worse than building up the kinds of teams that can, can build in efficiencies and effectiveness over time. Uh, to get to your question about the COVID thing, all prognosticators right now are saying that COVID is going to cause the thing to happen that they already thought was going to happen. So I'm going to try to avoid being <laughs> that guy. Um, COVID proves I was right about everything. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy. You can uh, be that guy. You've got you know the, sure. the prerogative here. It's a podcast, right? Who's going to tell me no? Um, but I think <clears throat> I will tell you what I hope happens. What I hope happens is that this reveals to people that the way we connect as lawyers is not well adapted to us or to clients. Right now, we're seeing these chickens come home to roost about our practice model. These lawyers who are quickly moving their traditional practices online, they still feel that same isolation. They feel that same grind. What's different about it now is our time and emotional and cognitive capacities have been greatly reduced. We've just lost the myth of the productive hour at this point. When, what, what I hope this will teach us is that we need to create something new. Um, let me share a book with you. There's a book called Counterproductive by Melissa Gregg, 
And what she talks about in that book is that our obsession with time comes from this scientific management era, this idea that we can become more productive and more effective, more efficient. It's what she points out is that our clocks don't define our value anymore. We don't have a machine that we plug into until that clock strikes five. Now the value offering of employees is so different. So even though we've reached this insane level of productivity that John Maynard Keynes was pining for, even in that incredible era of productivity, we still feel overwhelmed. And the reason is because we have more maximums than just time. We have our cognitive and emotional limits. And as lawyers, we need to build around those things. And I talk about that a lot in the book. Is there a difference between what you hope will happen and what you think will happen? I think part of it depends on the amount of time that this thing lasts, which none of us knows. But obviously, if this thing takes three weeks, you're not going to see a fundamental change. Uh, really, people are moving their traditional practices online, and they're probably going to do roughly the same thing later. Courts have moved online, and it's great progress. It's really important that courts aren't doing status hearings by calling everybody in. It's great. but dispute resolution is still done through status hearings. You're not going to see a big change in the rules. Obviously, if this lasts longer, if this lasts more like six months and creates some kind of fundamental changes, what I think will happen is that a lot of law firms will close. You will see a lot of law firms who just can't do it, who just need to move on to something else. And you might see consolidation of firms sort of on the top end. This has been predicted for quite a while that you'll see a lot of consolidation on the top of the biggest firms. And then you'll see a whole lot of mid-sized firms uh, that are bought. And then these lower, you know, the solo and small firms will continue to exist and maybe even grow. In fact, in the book, I predict that the solo market will actually grow. And I think that that's, that's probably true. I think that this has the potential to hasten that. So who will be the, what will be the difference between the, the winners and the losers if we're anticipating this more protracted case, which I think the odds makers would, would say that we're probably skewing more to the six months than the three weeks at this point. Uh, what, do you, what do you think separates law firms that figure out how to not just survive, but, but potentially thrive in this, in this climate and those that will, as you say, close and, and maybe close permanently, just fail? I think, again, this comes back to the model because even the big firms, the ones that should be the most highly capitalized, they're still cash flow engines. They don't have much in the way of assets. So it's still about getting the next case and the next billable hour and, and, and that kind of grind. I, I refer to this as the churn, the capital C yeah, churn the in churn. the book. Yeah. yeah, it's the bad guy of the book. Solos and small firms who are built like that, that will just look to cash flow, look to get the next case and not think of the bigger picture there's every chance that you're just going to run out of cash flow. And so the, the number two killer of businesses in America is a lack of cash flow. Uh, the, the number one thing being you sell something nobody wants. We can talk right. about the irony of those two things being together. But, uh, you know, you're going to see a lot of small firms that are just going to have cash flow problems. I think what we're seeing right now is that the federal government is seeing that risk and is treating sole proprietorships, freelancers, individual solos as people in addition to as businesses. So you see the people money that's going to come to those individuals, 
but we're also eligible for the different loan programs that are being offered, not just businesses with lots of staff. Right. And you know, maybe tied to that, that question, you know, for the, the, the solo lawyers that, um, you know, you, you pointed out earlier in our conversation that we're already fairly isolated feeling already uh, without as much communities they might need. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on how they can help each other through this, this, this challenge? You know, maybe different, uh, a slightly different flavor of the, the question around some of the online communities people can connect with, but how can they actually mutually reinforce each other from a, from a business perspective, from a support perspective, from a, uh, from perspective? Yeah, I'll give you a theoretical answer and then a tactical answer. I, I read an article about small businesses in Holland. I think they were doing this experiment on, and they made the argument at the beginning of the paper that I found so fascinating. It said, in the modern small business context, those companies are so connected to each other that functionally they work like a big company. And of course, I read that and couldn't help but laugh because that's not remotely true for us. <laughs> we are generally right. very isolated. So in, in theory, what I would like to see in, and would encourage lawyers to do is to find ways to connect mutually beneficial networks, not just referral networks, but places where lawyers work together uh, and also professionals in other areas. There are certainly ways to build this, that you're building a community that goes beyond just lawyers for sure. Tactically, the piece of advice that I gave on Twitter that I would give to anyone is there's a book called 12 Week Year. And basically what the book is about is you want to define a project that is big, right? A, a 90 day project, but not so big that you won't ever finish it, which is the problem with a year horizon. If I could give anybody advice right now on what to do, I would find a 90 day project that you can do with other people. Get the other people involved. All of you work together. One, because staying busy is a really great way to deal with anxiety. And two, because I want you to see that when you do those bigger asset-driven projects, not the cash flow churn, you have more fun, you are more productive, it is more helpful for other people. So connect, make something. And, you know, just, just to elaborate on, on that question, do, do you have some ideas of what projects might make sense for, you know, an average solo or small firm to be thinking about? What would you lock arms with, you know, a, a handful of your colleagues and say, let's, let's go do this over the next 12 weeks? The easiest solution might be to create a mastermind. It's sort of a cliche. You can come up with whatever term you want to. The fellowship of the law <laughs> ring? I don't know. <laughs> But getting people together to just talk to each other, to give each other some accountability, to encourage each other, that's a great project that you can start. There's Sometimes there's technical barriers to it. It might take you longer to get it going. Give yourself a 90-day window to figure that thing out, to stumble through it at the beginning and over time to make it more valuable. Other easy projects are content projects. So you might say, I want to create the ultimate guide to whatever, something relevant to your practice area. In doing that, you can write that with three other people. Just get three other people who have relevant 
subject matter knowledge that can come in and help you write that piece. You could also start a joint venture of some kind, some kind of business. This gets really complicated with lawyers, obviously, because of this inability to do other professional businesses. But you, if you are not acting as a lawyer, you can create a business with somebody else. I don't know, maybe you're doing an Amazon reselling business. Maybe you create a software company. It's really difficult to, to advise on a specific thing, but building a business, giving it a shot. The, again, to echo Seth Godin, no matter what you go into, no, this might not work. The thing that I sort of love about this moment is that money is just a construct and we all see it all of a sudden, right? Money just seems like, this thing that we used to obsessively measure ourselves over. And right now we're all just sort of figuring it out and stumbling through. I would love to see you create something that you don't have the immediate pressure of money on. Do something you enjoy with people you like. That could be such an important part of the mental health equation we were talking about earlier as well. So, you know, this, this idea of creating community doesn't need to be necessarily, for example, a mastermind group that's closely linked to your law practice, that's probably a great idea in and of itself, especially when, when we're in this time of rapid change and rapid evolution, but find ways of creating community and connecting on projects that maybe have absolutely nothing to do with law. So Mike, a, a separate question I'd like to dig into is around your online conference. Uh, so you have held for a number of years uh, a great conference uh, called Lawyer Forward, and uh, I know Cleo has has uh, been involved with that and spoken at that conference in the in the past. Uh, you've taken that conference online this year with a a pay what you can model, and uh, would love to hear uh, your your perspective on what you're trying to accomplish with this conference, uh, and and why you've chosen you know a pretty innovative pricing model for the the conference as well. Yeah, I would actually get back to something that Jordan Furlong uh, mentioned in your interview before. It's difficult to build relationships right now. This is the time to rely on relationships that you have. And one of the things that I focus on in the book is building on social capital. And if I can get nerdy for a second, I play a lot of board games. And on these board games, a lot of them have different gauges. Some of them are money and some of them are life. And some of them, if you're really cool, they're magic, right? And in your game playing strategy, you focus on whichever one of those gauges helps you win that game. Well, right now, if we have money as a gauge and social capital and connection as a gauge, emotional capacity, cognitive ability, we have all these different gauges that actually impact our business, but we tend to only focus on the money one. What I'm trying to do right now, I just made the decision to focus on the social capital piece. So, I had lost a couple of projects, just wait and see kind of modes. I, I do content for large companies that are trying to sell to small law firms. And a couple of projects were put in wait and see mode. I had the panic attack. We've all had the panic attack lately. Uh, I freaked out, talked to my wife. Maybe we should all get jobs at grocery stores or something. What the heck are we going to do? And then I, somebody reached out to me and said, go to your friends, go to your people. And so I went out to my people and I said, hey, if we did a virtual Lawyer Forward conference, would you guys join in? And the focus of the conference has been not the triage of quickly getting your practice online, but the next thing, what do we do to change our practice so that it's more adaptive? So it's a slightly different focus than what's out there. And the response was crazy and it was great and a lot of people want to do it. 
The next thing I decided then, if I'm building this on social capital, if I'm focused on connection, then money could get in the way right now. Money could be a problem for people. So what I did was created a pay what you can model and it is basically giving the opportunity for people who wanna support me to support me, sort of like a Patreon model. I'm doing the good, the good will be out in the world. If it makes some kind of money, great. And what's hilarious is, I think this might have always been true about businesses to a, to a degree. I think it, on some level, we just all do our work. The, the line from the Bhagavad Gita is, you have a right to your labor, but not to the fruits of your labor. Sometimes you just go do the work and you see what happens. That's, you know, again, Seth Godin's, this might not work. You just go make cool stuff. So that's what we're doing. Love it. Uh, tell us more about the, the where, when, and how, if, if uh, our, our listeners want to find out more, where do they go? It'll be completely online because it's 2020 and the apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> if you go to lawyerforward.com slash virtual, you can sign up there. There's the pay what you can model on there. You just push buttons and contribute whatever or nothing. It's fine. And then it will lead you to sign up to some steps. The way we're, the way we're formatting this is... We'll do recorded sessions that can be watched at any time. This is a lot easier than trying to do big Zoom rooms full of 100 people. Uh, so these are recorded sessions, lessons that at the end you'll know how to do something. The thing we're doing to try to keep the community feel of the live event is we're going to do Facebook group watch parties. So basically we'll say, hey guys, in this hour we're watching video four and people in that thread will be able to ping ideas around. The speaker will be there to say, here's what you can try, try this. I wanted to get, you know, the social connectedness of the live event, but also take advantage of this asynchronous learning, this ability to record and watch whenever. So anyway, just go to lawyerforward.com slash virtual. You can also join the Lawyer Forward Facebook group and we're given a lot of details there. Really love it. Um, you know, as a, I, I run a conference as well, the Clio Cloud Conference. Uh, I, I love your call out to the conference uh, in your book as well, and a, a great anecdote about Joshua Lennon in there. Um, and that's just for you, Mike, to, to prove I did read the book. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I wonder, you know, I, we've, we've been talking about, you know, ClioCon's obviously a, a ways down the road in, uh, in October, but the what if scenario, if this is protracted and we may be in a position to uh, delay, defer, or move online uh, the, the, the conference. The question for me is, is it possible to do a virtual conference that doesn't suck? And uh, we're about to find out, Jack. We're Newton. about we to find out. To find and out. I, I love the, the courage you have in, in taking a run at this. And, and you're doing, you know, even what you outlined with the Facebook group, some, some innovative things to create that community and that sense of interaction. And, and, and the, the straw poll I've been doing just in the conversations I've had is, has anyone been to an online conference that hasn't sucked? And 2020 might be the year the answer to that question starts being um, yes. But so far, I haven't had any takers. So two questions for you. Have you been to an online co conference that hasn't sucked? And what do you think the key to running an online conference that doesn't suck might be? Now you got me thinking. Have I ever been to an online conference that didn't suck? I've got in my head that I did a summit thing, but I can't remember what, what it was. 
I think the short answer would be no, but it's difficult to say because there hasn't been a lot of demand for them in the past. A lot of right. the events that have been like this, that have been asynchronous learning like this, have been courses and courses exploded, whatever it was, six, seven years ago, and people were making a lot of courses. And I think those were adapted to a different experience. To maybe generalize the point that I think is relevant here, if you try to do online the thing that you used to do offline, it will suck. There are okay. things about going online that are fundamentally different in good ways and bad. So it is really difficult to have discussion in an online kind of uh, approach, but it's also a great place to do this just-in-time learning and have resources that you can reach whenever. So you definitely have to adapt it to the circumstance. I think the key to doing it well would be to use your existing community. If you try to build something that's a big show, the way your, especially your event, your event is a big show, uh, I don't think it's well adapted to the circumstance. Yours is always gonna be shinier than mine is. I mean, that's, you've got people, man. I don't have people. Uh, yours is gonna be shiny and have a lot of, you know, cool websites and stuff. But, but I do think, well, I, I, none of this is useful for your podcast, but to answer your question, I was having a conversation with Aaron Levine yesterday in a group we were doing one yep. of these Facebook, these Zoom chats. And she was talking about her newsletter and she said, I've sent out two newsletters, one about like what we're doing with COVID and two about what families should do with COVID. And she said, I'm out of ideas. Should I just skip my, my session tomorrow? And I said, or my newsletter tomorrow, I said, if I were you, what I would do is send a newsletter that says, this sucks. Everything sucks. It's yeah. here's how I'm dealing with it. Here's yeah. my life. I'm struggling just like you are. Here's what we're doing with it. Just be super transparent. So if I were you and I were to still do a Clio thing, my advice would probably be to let go of the glitz and find ways to let people share stories. The production's just different, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea of production value goes out the window. And I've been, I've been wondering, is there, you mentioned courses. I, I've wondered, is there an uncanny valley, essentially, in, between courses and live conferences? And it feels like part of that uncanny valley might be the difficulty in creating what is the, the lobby of the conference, right? Which is where um, so many of the interesting discussions uh, at a conference. I, I haven't looked at it yet, but Seth has, Godin has mentioned on his group, he's created a, like a virtual workspace on there. There might be, I don't know what that is. I mean, Facebook groups are a nice virtual workspace, right? But um, anyway, check, check whatever it is that he's doing. But anyway, sorry, we've gotten off. I've taken you off track. Yeah, sorry. I, 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 that's my fault. I was digging at a, a, a thread that was pretty interesting that you're to me trying there, to but figure I, out. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I, I'm trying to figure that out and I, uh, I will be watching Lawyer Forward uh, keenly and, and uh, best of luck in, in executing on that. I think it's a really important thing to, to do now and an important opportunity to create this kind of community. And if there's anything I or we at Clio can do to support, uh, let me know. I'm happy to screw this up so you can do it well later. That is my social function. Happy to do it. Um, so, uh, Mike, this has been an enormously useful conversation. Um, you know, maybe two things uh, to close out. 
you know, number one, you know, I, I know that you're closely connected with a large number of solo and small firm practitioners, and you've, you've got a you know audience of uh, acolytes of your book that that uh, you're probably hearing from as as this COVID nineteen situation unfolds. So, uh, number one, would love to hear your perspective on on what's happening on the front lines and what are some of the the deeper concerns you're you're hearing from uh, those those solo small firm and maybe even you know midsize and large firm uh, network that that you have uh, and and what is your broader advice to uh, legal professionals either in the context of running their law firm through this crisis or uh, or as individuals uh, and and coaching advice you might offer on that front. I've long said to legal technology companies, when you're speaking to solo attorneys, you think it's a business to business interaction, but it's really a business to consumer interaction. And the reason that distinction matters is because when we as solos make the wrong choice about some business thing, our kids don't get to play t-ball or they don't have insurance. And right now, this is a moment that really reveals that these are people, these are individuals making very emotional decisions. They're t- thinking about whether to keep on staff. These staff members are often friends. They're often family. So it's a yeah. fundamentally different thing than a business simply making a decision about some social good. On the other side of that, they're also individuals who are figuring out their own money. And if they think of it too much like American Airlines, they don't have capital sitting around. They don't have the ability to keep people on because it's nice. So a lot of what I'm hearing from solo and small firm attorneys is what you're probably hearing from grandmas and neighbors. It's the same kinds of people. They're worried. Uh, they're worried about their business because they're worried about their own lives. They're worried about their own income. And that overlap is, is really hard to get a hold of. If I were to give advice to anybody, that, I just before sorry. we move on to advice, Mike, I think you point out what is uh, maybe an especially painful and even agonizingly painful part of this for the solos and small firms is this this Venn diagram between their personal life and their business overlaps a lot more strongly than it does for an uh, American Airlines, for example. You know, so laying somebody off, letting go of your staff could be close friends, family. Uh, the, the impacts both financial and uh, personal are, are a lot more severe. That doesn't mean that I know what you should do with that uh, if you're a solo small firm lawyer, but I recognize that that emotion is there. And yeah. I think these, these lawyers need to feel seen on that. They need to, the, a lot of the advice that's being given right now is about what a great opportunity this is uh, that this, this pandemic is just a mindset. And if only you'd change your mindset, everything would be okay. That is so disrespectful to the people who are going through this situation. They're having real pain, real daily life. And I think all of us in this industry that want to support these lawyers need to recognize that what they're going through is highly personal. It's not a spreadsheet. Yeah, fully agree. And I interrupted you as you were moving on to giving your advice. In terms of advice, I recently did an interview with Megan Xavier on her podcast and basically listed off a bunch of disasters that I've lived through. We lost our house in a wildfire in Texas. My practice was destroyed. It was in Rockport where Hurricane Harvey made landfall. My wife has had major health issues. Uh, We've dealt with a lot. And my message to her, my message to you, it will be okay. At some point, 
you, you learn to let go of your expectations. You learn to be happy with what comes. It is grueling. It is difficult, but it will be okay. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. It was a great note to end on. Really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to join us. And uh, again, for listeners that are interested in finding out more about the uh, insights you have and the perspectives you have on the industry, they can check out lawyerforward.com. Uh, there's more details about your virtual event there. Uh, and again, I'd highly recommend picking up Lawyer Forward, the book. Uh, it's an amazing read and something I think every solo small firm uh, should, uh, should consume. And it's, it's, a, it's a really compelling book. You can get through it on a, on a weekend. Uh, and you did a really nice job of, of building a great narrative through that book, Mike. So thank thanks you, again for, for joining us. Uh, and thank you for joining us on Daily Matters, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thank you also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider for supporting this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit clio.com. And for more resources to help lawyers navigate the challenges of COVID-19, please visit clio.com slash COVID-relief.